0: Greetings, humanoids of all descriptions, Batman fans from around the world, and welcome to another episode of I Am The Night, the Batman The Animated Series podcast. With me, as always, is the dynamic, dastardly, duelist, Adam Ray.
1: Oh, I feel so honoured to be given so many strange titles. Some of them I've earned, some of them I've found tumbling down the rabbit hole in this episode, and I think that's a good way to describe it, certainly considering the content of who we're up against and the first appearance of the mad hatter in this excellent episode what would you have to say holy lewis carol adam you're so right yes um this is uh this episode is episode
0: 27 of the show mad as a hatter and again i have little to no recollection of this episode so maybe it's another one of the awful examples of UK's version of Cartoon Network, airing whichever episodes it fancies, or missing whichever episodes it fancies, but either way, um, thoroughly enjoyable, I thought.
1: It's a very classic sort of rendition of the first appearance of Mad Hatter of Jervis Tetch, the mad scientist, the master hypnotist, the tinkerer with sort of... Neural science and various other technology like that What was actually previously an employee of Wayne Tech For doing something for perhaps Noble means has ended up fueling towards his obsession And I think obsession is the right word To use to describe this character in this episode We see him very unhinged And selfish And driven to not nice things But it's a very clear And defensive sort of view of the character and also, though, don't you think,
0: obviously, this is due, of course, to the stellar portrayal by screen legend Roddy McDowell, whose voice just, as soon as he opened his mouth, I thought, hang on. That's why I knew thought, how could I not know that Roddy McDowell played the Mad Hatter? Because he is an absolute legend. But because of that performance, do you not actually think he was actually quite sympathetic? You didn't hate him? You just felt kind of sorry for him
1: you saw sort of a patheticness about him yeah. like there's something to pity about the fact that he was just so sad that he only needed his he needed his technology to help make friends and socialize so there's something pitiable about him until you slow down for a moment think wait and see that he is as strong as it may sound enslaving people with his own technology yeah. which is uh, the strongest hypnotism can get just completely subverting their own willpower and just letting themselves be controlled um, it's something to actually be feared and something to really take quite seriously and quite darkly. So it's good that they got an actor of that sort of gravitas behind it, even though he's much more of this sort of thinker types. So we get the sort of sinister side that uh, comic book technology can do.
0: It's it's wonderful to see because they've taken everything we know of the Hatter from the comics. But this, again, I do believe is one of the earlier portrayals of him going on full-on Lewis Carroll. I mean, right from when the episode opens with the title card, that is a John Tenniel illustration. If it's not, it's a damn good copy of a John Tenniel illustration. And that, for me, straight away set the
1: tone for the, the whole episode from beginning to end, didn't it? And we see that exact same piece of art, again, on the big framed poster in his laboratory. And we see that in the storybook that Alfred pulls from the library to help put together this man's identity. It's quite funny. Have you read Alice in
0: Wonderland or Through the Looking B- Glass?
1: Bits. I remembered it studying it back when I was a little bit younger for like literature class, and I remembered it being as bizarre as you'd expect, but it it was sort of credited back when it was written in eighteen thirty something, that it was one of the first pieces of surrealist literature, and you can really tell because it doesn't really follow much of a coherent plot. It's very good at making up strange words that have sort of fallen into, like, yes, popular dialogue. Absolutely. And the characters are just so iconic, but whether or not that's down to Tim Burton or Disney is, remains to be seen. But it's still as bizarre as you'd expect from what you can expect. It's quite funny, because I remember as a child,
0: much the same way that Alfred says it, in much the way, obviously, Jervis Tetch has, I remember as a child absolutely loving those books, reading them to death, to the point where I had to get... Second copies, but then rereading them as an adult, I read them and I thought, "What the actual hell am I reading?" And it's 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 a very very funny thing because, like you said, they are totally surreal. There is no cohesive plot. It's just this girl being thrown in front of weird situation after weird situation, and again, it's so funny because that's what happens to the Alice in this episode. Has she got a her, doesn't she? And Tetch and everything else.
1: It's her being sort of led through and around the events rather than the events actually informing her character or us seeing some sort of wider threat. Sure, we get some looming presences of the Queen of Hearts and the Red Queen and then Jambowoc and all that good stuff, but we never really get any clear sort of narrative it's all very much these things are happening and it's also because of the way it's written the actual sentence structure I just remembered this because I studied it at a higher level after mm-hmm. this the actual sentence structure is written so methodically that yeah. it does feel like you're a little bit in a trance yeah it's written totally. so that you're totally totally in that surreal and mind, the right. way
0: it drops in and out of standard prose to rhyme mm-hmm. and song and lyric and poetry where every character is, is so different and with all the characters I mean, that's the one beautiful thing I do take from the books is all the different characters have different speech patterns and that must have been a nightmare to write so mm. I do have a lot of respect for it even though it's just completely the weirdest stuff I've ever read but the fact that some literature is just so timeless that it can inform fictional tributes, years, decades, a
1: whole century after the fact, is is brilliant to me. Especially considering that it was experimental and controversial then. It's amazing to see that it's still, still provoking those sorts of reactions, but people are sort of know how to handle it more, because we've had a lot of very sparse and different literature come out since then, because we've seen all sorts of actual surrealist stuff actually be able to be grounded in itself and it's aware of itself because like I um, literature degree sorry <laughs> um, it makes the closest thing I ever read start to finish of great surrealist literature it was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas oh brilliant book brilliant book because it opens up with them saying here are all of the yeah. things we've taken take none of what we've said for, for literal because we are smashed But we can afford that. We can be allowed that because the characters are letting us know that they are an unreliable narrator. We don't really need to be able to follow anything. We can just follow all of the weird explosions and the giant-headed people and all of the other things they see on their uh, drug-induced trip across Vegas. We don't get any of that here. They take all of the strangeness very seriously in Lewis Carroll's novels. So we have to sort of believe all of it even though we can't and the way it's written makes us feel like our brains sort of being put through a blender with weird, weird, weird literature weird literature
0: yeah well that's more or less exactly uh, Jervis Tetch's MO he literally mm. puts people's brains mm-hmm. through a blender yeah. and, and bends them to his will, which is very very clever because this is a totally linear story a standard piece of fiction of a character doing wrong even though to, to his mind he's just doing it out of love and the way that Batman deals with that. And, again, a fascinating villain because he's not two-dimensional. He has got depth and, and talent and intelligence. He's an incredibly bright man. I mean, imagine that technology put to good use, but how long would it be before it's perverted by someone who's worse than
1: Tetch? I filled the applications for something of what Tetch would have done would have been the immediate response. Of course, it being in Wayne's company would mean that he would have some sort of control over that. He would ensure that it's going to the right causes because something like that could free up neural pathways in someone's brain to be able to get them out of comas, to get them over paralysis. It could be revolutionary technology, but the mind control aspect is so much more seductive and so much more dangerous that you can't really trust technology like that, which is why it's amazing that all the negative aspects you get of the mind control all Jonas Tesh really did was to inform his cosplay Yes, exactly
0: that. Absolutely I um, have to talk about also the Superb supporting characters I mean, Billy just serves as a plot device To break up with and make up with poor old Alice Played by Kimmy Robertson Who uh, viewers, listeners may recognise as Lucy From the famous Twin Peaks show but also, I don't know if you noticed, because I did recognise her voice. Um, Marsha, Bruce's assistant, the, the leader of the tech company where Jervis works, was a 2 time award-winning um, actress. Oh, God, I didn't write her. Yes, I did. Lorissa Swift. I knew I wrote her name. Huh? Who played Hot Lips, who in the world-famous smash TV show. Wonderful actress. And I, I knew I recognised her voice. But, of course, Woody McDowell himself. What did you think, I mean, not known, but probably this is probably your first exposure to him?
1: I've heard the name thrown around, but I can't say I know much of what he's done. He breathes a lot of realism into this character, mm-hmm. especially one of the more fanciful ones you can sort of expect from Batman, because it's yeah. because over the years, the means in which the Mad Hatter has done his mind control has sort of flim-flammed between hats and the pocket watch and spirals and kaleidoscopes. It's been all sorts of stuff. I like that he's made an effort to make him seem vulnerable, to make him seem socially awkward, to make him seem just obsessed with the story so much that he would use it for ill means, and him sort of befriending the rats was the only friend he ever really had. So he's been able to put a lot of sympathy into a really nefarious character, because when you compare him to the other real on-screen portrayals, we get the very dark, very determined version that we've seen in the Gotham TV show. Yeah, which He was scary. He was scary, yeah. So I feel like this reclusive, shy scientist is a bit more sincere, Yeah. But not to take away from the scarier portrayal. Um, really good version. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a
0: very nuanced performance where at times when he is frightening, it's more down to the animators hmm. and the way they make the character act. The voice always, even when he's angry... Suddenly, comes down and gets that little and that sadness and you feel like he's almost like a little boy who really wants something but can't get it and that literally draws his whole character for the episode so really McDowell, um fantastic performance. I think made to measure this could be one of the best pieces of casting I've seen in this show and they've all been amazing but he is spot on perfect for Hatter
1: yeah very much so we get the true sort of Vulnerability. you would need to be a character this shy, this reclusive that he would feel the need to just care- create any social interaction just by force. So we do pity him, but we can't forgive him. Yeah. Which is sort of what you'd like in a villain, personally. Yes. Just someone evil for being evil's sake is really fun to watch. But he's got no mileage, has got yeah, no legs. Yeah. Uh, there's the chances of redemption, there's the chances of him sort of thinking is this okay and then just the possibility of growth is interesting in itself couldn't
0: agree more and as a new uh, camera to Roddy McDowell and his work obviously this is something that it it, it goes I mean, most famously most people my era would definitely know him for playing two completely different characters in the original series of the Planet of the Eights movies where he played um, both Cornelius and Caesar and then he played Galen, a third character on the Planet of the Ages TV show of the 70s and 80s, but his credits go back to Lassie movies uh, and Disney classics, That Darn Cat, Bedrooms and Broomsticks, The Thrill of the Poseidon Adventure, and for me uh, the one I remember most clearly is Disney's attempt at doing a Star Wars movie The Black Hole where he played the uh, android
1: that,
0: (laughs) uh, I can't remember the android's name, but he played that character too but for more modern audiences, he played Peter Vincent in the two Fright Night movies, which is a role that David Tennant took over when they remade the film in later years. Yes. But you would remember him from Bug's Life as the butler-type character who serves the Queen. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's really <laughs> too. I mean, Like I said, what a catalogue of work.
1: Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah. Honestly, this show has a really, really good habit of bringing out some unexpectedly seasoned actors. So in this regard, yes, he's very welcome. He's done all sorts and has the layers and the experience to be able to put the sinister vulnerability that you'd need for this character. And someone who, unlike unlike most villains, isn't driven by sort of greed or revenge or hatred. He's driven by obsession. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of viewers can relate to. We've all wanted something. We've all saw something that may have been something we would have desired, something we can't have. It's just a little bit average. What if we had access to something that was beyond us? Just giving into that sort of temptation that leads to obsession is very scary, but something a lot of people, I think, can relate to.
0: Almost everybody. I mean, I do believe that everyone at some point or other in life has an unrequited love. Someone that you have been crazy about who didn't feel the same way about you. And obviously most people deal with that in a normal way by moving on and finding someone of of equal emotional reciprocation. But poor old Jervis, being as awkward and unconfident as he is, had to resort to using his technology. But alas, what are you going to do? But um, seeing Mad Hatter as both vulnerable and misusing his technology. Isn't it still great that Bruce doesn't come down on him like a ton of bricks? When we see Batman versus as Bruce Wayne in that lab and he is a genial, brilliant boss who says, Listen, this guy's really clever, he just needs more time, let's give it to him. Whereas Marsha is a The real Taskmaster. Rare.
1: It's because I think Bruce Wayne in general is that very easygoing manager. Yep. I feel that he has tens of thousands of people working in his company across all matters of applied sciences and economics and whatever else vague things that Wayne Tech needs to do for the plot. I think that he's very understanding because they are all doing good stuff and he can expect them to do it whilst not putting any necessary pressure on it because I think his great uh contemporary of a company that's as big but doing similar stuff would probably be lex luther yes and absolutely. lex luther is not exactly a nice man the antithesis
0: of bruce wayne so
1: i think bruce wayne would sort of work in a way to not be that and also i don't think his heart's in it because this is just his day job this is just what he does yeah, this is not who he is absolutely
0: and I think we were talking a couple of weeks back with the last scarecrow episode, the fear of victory, of how sometimes synchronicity is the weirdest thing in the world. I mean. And I've had it again with this episode because I, you know, I've been rereading a ton of my old comics during this whole lockdown period, and I've literally read everything from Hush onwards, and I've gone through uh, Under the Hood and Fifty Two and all of that. And along that run of detective comic stories is a story called The Wonderland Gang, hmm. which is literally everything we see, the lion, the unicorn, uh, the walrus and the carpenter. And it's just really Weird, because I read that comic last night, and lo and behold, today, there they all are on
1: screen in this episode of Batman The Animated Series. Which came first, that story or this episode? Oh, this episode, by decades. So it's really good, then, that the actual designers and the character illustrators of this show were able to recognise really non-obvious Alice in Wonderland characters as cronies, as mind-controlled Frunkies, yeah. we would so very readily expect uh, the white rabbit and the queen exactly. and the Cheshire cat mm-hmm. we would not expect the walrus and the carpenter we would not expect the lizard that Billy was dressed up as so it's wonderful respect that the creators would know what the characters would know and would be able to put the things that they would know onto the screen for us to see it's a wonderful bit of realism you wouldn't expect out of a comic book show yeah
0: And not only that, the way they've done it in a form that's so true to John Tenniel's original um, designs and and artistry, because obviously one of the things I remember more than the actual lines and and writing of Lewis Carroll's Alice stories is the imagery. Those illustrations are timeless, classic, both nightmarish and dreamlike in, in their power. And The writers and directors of this episode, um, and I obviously do have to credit them, Paul Dini, of course, Batman the Animated Series legend, and Frank Power, who's becoming one of my favourite animated directors, have managed to translate those images onto an episode of Batman beautifully.
1: They really, really have. They've put them in such a way so that they're so upfront and clear that it's... So strange and unexpected that we would expect the unexpected from something about a Lewis Carroll story. So their unusualness is made usual, which is exactly what you would want in an episode like this. It just fits so well.
0: Yeah, they've taken the weird and made it every day. And that's a tough thing to do, but brilliantly rewarding when done properly. Um, We have to, of course... Mentioned that Batman does have a strong role to play. He's every bit the action hero and the crusader, but it's lovely again seeing Alfred being his Alfredish best (laughs) in this episode. And the 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 line is just vintage. Do you want to take it from here?
1: I Uh, can we expect another uh, early night for you? Will Gotham allow it, or what's that effect? Yeah, Uh, would I be so lucky? Yeah, it's just it just feels so real it's so sincere they have this whole lifetime together that they can bounce this kind of comedy off of each other it's the kind of humanising factor that Batman needs so that he doesn't go foaming at the mouth crazy doing what he does and it's a wonderful thing to see and it's so important that they can still find like that 30-45 seconds out of the whole episode just for moments like
0: this character moments which underline the whole power of the show absolutely So on that note, as always, your overall takeaway, moments, scenes, sights, sounds that you are taking from this episode, either good or bad, things that leapt out for you.
1: I particularly appreciated that there was a consistent sort of light colour scheme across the whole episode, now that I think about it, because it made it feel as though we couldn't tell whether it was day or night during this whole episode, which made the whole thing seem even more disorientating Mm -hmm. for just like Alice, who didn't really have a sense of time in Wonderland. We get that sort of feeling here that we just don't know which way is up and down, which adds to the clear confusion. The whole episode was clear, there was a plot, we could follow it, villains rising up doing something nefarious, Batman stops them, but there's still that extra sort of dream-like nature that really fits back to the original source material in this 50s 60s villain mm. was, driven, was yes. derived from so they were able to handle a lot of different sides of literary history very well just by how the episode looked and how well it flowed which was very nice for me to say yeah
0: it has lovely muted colors some lovely pastels very warm but like i said that because they were so almost middle of the road there were no extremes of darkness and light that like we've seen in so many Batman the Animated Series episodes that it did add to the whole Lewis Carrollishness of, of the whole episode. Absolutely well spotted. A really, really good touch. Uh, for me, I'm, I am have to go back to the uh, Batman and Alfred scene because a picture Batman and the Batmobile. It's been a quiet night. Nothing's happening. Poor old Alfred's daring to hope that Bruce will come home to a nice, hot, cooked the meal for once in his life but then no of course not the uh emergency alarm goes off and it's beautiful because it's not just uh, kevin conroy's portrayal and the way he delivers the line or a um, symbolist's line itself but also the way the animators have made batman smile in a non-creepy and terrifying way where you can feel that affection for alfred because yes batman has to go off and save the day again so alfred says in that case sir I'll prepare the usual breakfast, breakfast of toast, and coffee, and bandages. bandages. <laughs> absolutely vintage Alfred and then uh, lying to the effect of um, don't wait up from, from Bruce from Batman and that lovely smile saying, uh, love you, old man. It's it's just absolutely terrific. Loved
1: it. Um, overall thoughts on the episode? Did you like it? No, very much so, yeah. There's another surprised that we can still pull new villains out of a hat. Oh, nicely done. Couldn't not do it. (laughs) But still a lovely origin story that is so clear to form, but still a new twist on focusing on the mad science of the Mad Hatter. Very lovely lovely little touch, a lovely little calm, quiet, thrill ride, and a dive into how bad obsessions can go for people. Absolutely.
0: And I think the way I would describe
1: this episode
0: as I do with a lot of the stuff from this series it's brand new vintage Batman and brand new vintage um, Mad Hatter Uh, brilliantly realised played perfectly well written, well directed scratched record, repeats itself week after week episode of uh, Batman the Animated Series so um, I'm going to pull another line out of my hat just to keep the thing going and Adam if people want to talk to us about this show or about Batman the Animated Series in general where can they reach you and where can they find you and your work sir
1: well I review many a great monthly and uh, uh, twice monthly uh, title on Dark Knight News and DC Comics News where this podcast and many of our others do reside and originate you can find me on our dear love our project at home uh, fantasticuniverses.com where I talk about my true love tabletop gaming find me on twitter at is it tinkerer I-Z-Z-E-T tinkerer and you can find me in a small undisturbed corner of the woods having tea at high noon and just also
0: oh tea and battenberg what a mm. wonderful idea uh, myself you can find me on twitter at Stevo E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O um So yeah, hit me up there, tell me anything you want to know, ask me any questions you like with regard to this show or to my work, or indeed to all the other shows on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. And now we have four. The Original DC Comics News Podcast where we talk movies, TV, comics, games, streaming and everything in between. The Spinner Rack where we talk comics, 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 which ones to buy, which ones are a good read. Of course, this show, the I Am The Night series where we break down episodes of Batman The Animated Series. And the more adult orientated, even though we act like giant children, Mad Love, Harley Quinn cast show are as well on the same network. You can find all of those, as always, on Spotify. Google Play, Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and you can find both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr and YouTube and where else you can find my writing just type in Steve J Ray to the search engine of choice to find my news reviews and interviews on both DC Comics News and Dark Knight News or type in Fantastic Universes for our website which is for all fans of everything they love and on that note he's Adam Ray, he's the Knight, together we are the Knight. And this has been the I Am The Night podcast.
1: Adam, what does everyone need to do? Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.